and welcome in to this week's episode of the Sports Gospel Show here on sportsgospel.com or wherever you find your favorite sports. Darren and Andrew with you on this week's show, and we call it the Sports Gospel if you're new to us, tongue-in-cheek, as a gospel is absolute fact. And Andrew, we are always right, correct? I've certainly never been wrong on this podcast. Yes. All of our betting advice, all of our picks, all of our mock drafts, we are infallible. So you can take what we say as gospel sports facts. I agree completely. Actually, don't do that. You might lose a whole <laughs> lot of money. Uh, but I do need to start out this week's show. We are going to talk mostly about the NFL playoffs as they are on the horizon. And we were going to record very early this week. And luckily we waited because we had a lot of stuff to try to cram in here. We'll do it pretty quick. But this week I got to celebrate a rare sports occurrence for me as my actual college alumni program uh, doesn't really win much of anything. But my adopted team from when I was a wee lad, six, seven year old me fell in love with the Michigan Wolverine football team. And while it's been it's been a good ride, a lot of good years in that time, Rose Bowls, big bowl games, beating Ohio State to finally climb to the top of the mountain. Uh, I just I just need a moment to bask in the the Michigan beating Washington. I like Washington. If Washington and what I went to felt bad, I already kind of had my Super Bowl with Michigan beating Alabama because. We all hate the SEC is the polite way I'll say that, but I just uh. It was a good feeling Monday night. I know you are as a Big Ten fan and a non-Jim Harbaugh fan may not feel the same, but for us Wolverine fans, it was a good hail to the victors moment. Well, I feel great because this marks the end of the Jim Harbaugh era as he will be going on to the NFL now that he's got his championship. So I was going to ask you about that. Like, I was surprised out here living on the West Coast how much the Duck fans vehemently hate Washington. I didn't realize it was that bad. All the Duck fans I knew were cheering for Michigan to beat Washington just to see Washington suffer. And I feel like as a as a Big 12 fan, had this been Texas, I mean, I'm going to cheer for Michigan no matter what. But when another Big 12 team makes it, I generally cheer for them. I, I mean, ideally not Texas or Baylor. But if K-State had been here or West Virginia or Texas Tech, I would have cheered for them. Iowa, definitely not. So I'm curious, are you anti-Michigan as a Big 10 fan or does Jim Harbaugh crank up that hatred a little bit? No, I think it's more just the cheating that they employed this year that did it for me. Um, I did actually make a, a little bit of a wager on Michigan to win, so I can't say I'm too upset as they pulled through for me pretty easily. Uh, Michigan on the spread and the under was the was the play. Kind of knew that Penix would struggle against a Big Ten team because I've seen it before seen it with my own two eyes before when he threw like four interceptions and two pick sixes against Iowa in 2021. Yeah. So I, uh, I knew that uh, Penix would have a little bit of a struggle. So, um, but like I said, I really do think this is it for, for Jim Harbaugh at the college level. I think his goal was to get a championship at Michigan right off into the sunset. And, uh, this might be a nice transition, but we can talk about all the NFL jobs that are now open. Some surprises there, some not surprises as well, but a lot of big names leaving NFL jobs too. Yeah. And college jobs. We got to maybe stay on the college track here. Uh, Nick Saban retiring. Yeah, I wanted to uh, kind of dovetail those together here. 
So the, again, good thing we waited this week to record with Nick Saban and Bill Belichick both retiring. It kind of got me thinking, two of the all-time greatest football coaches. So kind of a three-part question for you. Which one of these was more surprising? I guess two-part. Which one was more surprising to you? And which one do you think was greater at their given profession? One of the best all-time pros and one of the best all-time college coaches. Hmm. Tough to say. Um, well, so Belichick, I don't think he retired. I think they just mutually no. agreed to part ways. So Nick Saban retiring, I didn't really, maybe I should have seen it coming, but I didn't really expect it. So I think that was uh, definitely the more surprising between the two. I really thought the Patriots were going to trade Belichick. So that was maybe the only shock factor there. But Nick Saban kind of retiring out of the blue really shocked me. And I would also say that this may be a little bit controversial, but I think Nick Saban is the best between the two. Hmm. I just think it's so hard to get college kids oriented and playing at a championship level all the time. I mean, you're talking about 18 to 22 year old kids, right? It's, it's a tough thing to do to kind of build that dynasty up and keep doing it repeat after repeat. Uh, As more time goes on, it looks a lot more like Belichick's success was connected to a certain someone who people call the greatest, but I tend to disagree with. Um, so Dion Branch, yeah, that's it. Dion Branch, um, the whatever, the tuck rule, play (laughs) gate, uh, whatever you want to do. People jumping off sides at the appropriate time. (laughs) Um, anyways, I think what Nick Saban accomplished was a lot more than what Belichick accomplished at the pro level. Tough to compare, but if I had to pick, I'm going Saban. Yeah, I you're not going to find me on the bandwagon for either one of these guys, but I do think a slight edge to Saban to go to multiple schools, multiple programs, and to navigate multiple eras of college football and still be a national champion. You think of, and we just talked about it, I agree, it was such a big deal for Harbaugh to get one, and Saban had, what, six or seven national championships, and just it was the expectation every year that he was going to get one. Belichick, it's it's been tougher to take him seriously as an elite to say that he's on the level of a Don Shula or a Tom Landry, Chuck Knoll, those kind of guys I think are a little bit above him after Brady left and just how much they fell apart. And it's probably GM Bill Belichick did coach Bill Belichick, not any favors. But if I had to pick, I think a slight edge to Saban, I'll, I will never cheer for Nick Saban a day in my life, but if I had to choose between the two, I think his run was more impressive from... LSU or Michigan State to LSU to Alabama. A couple fun facts, maybe not so fun for you, but Kirk Ferentz, three and one versus Nick Saban all time. Interesting. And also Kirk Ferentz is now the last remaining member of uh, Belichick's Cleveland Browns staff who is still coaching. Random. Very random. But uh, Saban was on that staff. That's why I'm bringing it up. It just, so you had uh, you had Belichick, Saban, and Kirk Ferentz all on the same staff with the Cleveland Browns. 
And uh, now with Saban retiring, Kirk Ferentz is the last one remaining from that staff. And, and no, with Belichick parting parting ways with the Patriots too. And no joy within 20 miles of that locker room. Those are three of the driest, most surly, no fun, workmanlike coaches I've ever seen. Uh, all of Kirk Ferentz's players love him, so I wouldn't say there's no fun. But like, like Pete Carroll is fun. Like, watch Pete Carroll. Pete Carroll looks fun. We'll talk about him here more in a minute. But like, Mike Tomlin seems like he's probably pretty fun. Kevin Stefanski, Nick Sirianni, D'Amico, Reed. These guys seem like there's probably some a little bit of fun involved. I got it. You're looking at the guys who play to the cameras and the entertainment value. Hey, yeah, Kirk Ferentz is never going to do that, <laughs> but his players do love him. I will, I will say that. So, do we want to talk about the Alabama job or NFL coaches? Yeah, let's talk about the Alabama job, and then uh, switch to the NFL coaches as our lead-in. Not much to the chagrin of all the Oregon Duck fans I know, but if I had to pick, I feel like Dan Lanning is the lead candidate, head coach here at Oregon, a guy who was a defensive coordinator under Kirby Smart when he was getting that Georgia dynasty up and running. I think Dan Lanning wants to get back there. This is as big of a job as there is in college football. Uh, some of the other names that I've seen thrown out there, I don't think it's Dabo. I think Dabo has kind of got himself entrenched there at Clemson. He's an alum and supposedly beloved in certain corners of Alabama. I just think he's shown a reluctance to want to jump into the NIL transfer portal, and Saban at least gave that a whirl for a couple of years. I don't think Kirby Smart's going to leave Georgia. I don't think that, oh my God, why am I blanking his name? Texas, help me out here. Uh, Sarkeesian. Yeah, I think I think that'd be a lateral move. As great as Alabama thinks they are, I think Texas is right up there. I think they're right on that tier one of college football, like the Ohio States and Texas and Alabama. So I don't think Sark's the guy. I think Lanning would be my lead candidate, as much as Oregon fans don't want to hear that. Young guy, can develop a program, players respond to him, knows the NIL and transfer portal, does really well with it. Yeah, you know, younger, more energetic guy. And then Lane Kiffin is the other one I'm very curious about. I know you talk about playing to the camera. I know there's public perception crazy Twitter Lane Kiffin, but I think X's and O's in the locker room Lane Kiffin may be different, has the Alabama connection. So those would be my two that I'd look at are Lane Kiffin and Dan Lanning. Well, Dan Lanning actually came out and held a team meeting and said he's staying in Eugene. Sure. Yeah, yeah. no coach has ever gone back on those proclamations. I don't think Dan Lanning is a Gene Chizik <laughs> level. We're still bitter. Uh, yeah, no, I don't think I don't think he's doing that. So it's not going to be Dan Lanning. Um, so I feel confident in saying that. I I think there's another name that you didn't mention, and this is actually who it's going to be. It's going to be Kalen DeBoer. Just why would he want to deal with all that? Uh, apparently, if he was offered the job today, he would take it in a heartbeat. Interesting. So, I mean, um, I'm, I'm a Kalen DeBoer fan. I just figured he would not want to deal with SEC stuff. Plus, you never want to be the guy who follows the guy. Yeah, that's kind of my that's kind of my thought process as well. But apparently, he wants to take it. So maybe Dan Lanning will be the guy that follows Kalen DeBoer, which that could be really something. Um, and this might become relevant to me as an Iowa fan because what does Ryan Grubb do? Um, he's a hot name in a lot of coaching circles. He's the offensive coordinator at Washington. 
Does he go with Kalen as an offensive coordinator at Alabama? Does he stay and become the head coach at Washington? Uh, knowing that he's going to have to completely rebuild the roster because they're losing a lot of guys to the NFL. Or does he come home to Iowa, which is where he's from, and uh, be the offensive coordinator at Iowa for a few years before eventually taking over the job? There's It could be a little bit of an interesting time for me. Uh, you mentioned Dabo as well. Apparently he has an insane buyout where, and there's a clause that if he leaves for Alabama, they don't have to pay 100% of the buyout. They have to pay 150%. So they have to pay an extra 50% of whatever buyout. I think it's something like $60 million buy- dollar buyout just to get Dabo. And then pay him like a $10, $11 million a year salary on top of that. That's, so that's, I don't think Dabo is a real option. That's what I'm wondering. Is whoever gets this job just going to walk in and immediately be, immediately be the highest paid coach in college football? I need to look up what salaries are. Um... If not, they'll be close to it. And I certainly think if, like, Kalen DeBoer is offered the job, he'll be offered a pretty uh, handsome salary. So now that Saban is out, who is your guest for the highest paid coach, according to USA Today, as of this fall? Oh, boy. Is it? Just their yearly salary. Is it Jimbo? Uh, Jimbo is number seven. Hmm. Most of the guys ahead of him actually earned it. Oh, good. Uh, so it's Harbaugh. Harbaugh was then, Harbaugh was somehow down at twelve. I'm not sure how that works, given the guys ahead of him. Hmm. That's interesting. Uh, so Dabo, Dabo was, be up there. Dabo was two behind Saban at ten point yeah. eight million with a sixty-four yeah. million dollar buyout. Kirby Smart, Kirby, Kirby Smart deal got done. Um. I wonder if Norvell is up there. Norvell Norvell is down at 15, but you had Ryan Day at four. Okay. And then it goes a little bit off the rails here. Mel Tucker, five. Brian Kelly, six. Fisher, seven. Oh, that Mel Tucker deal is so bad. (laughs) So bad. I can't believe that Mel Tucker got that deal. He absolutely stole from Michigan State. (laughs) Well, let me throw, I want to throw a couple more names out at you. These are kind of wild left field. I do like the Norvell idea. I'm not sure why he's not being discussed more. As much as Florida State fans don't want to admit it, I do think that'd be a step up to go from Florida State to Alabama. We've seen what the guy can do in short order. I think he can recruit that part of the country. But just some, some. I don't know how much coaches want to move within the SEC right now, but would you look at a Josh Heupel, a Mark Stoops, I know we mentioned Lane Kiffin, but those are the ones that stood out to me. Or Eli Drinkwitz. Eli Drinkwitz, Josh Heupel, or Mark Stoops, are they on the radar? Oh, maybe Heupel. Probably not Stoops or Drinkwitz. I don't think that's a big enough name to satisfy Alabama fans. Uh, are we going big name? Yeah. Can we Can we make some dreams come true for my fantasy college football world? Let's hear like, it. Like, like NCAA 2K type fantasies? Let's do it. They're in a they're in a Aflac commercial together. I think Coach Prime takes over Alabama. Oh no! <laughs> oh no! I do not want to hear that. The, the biggest name they can get, just like three years of chaos and pandemonium, and 
Don't need the winning, but you get the attention. Oh, man. Just, wow. That'd be a, <laughs> a heck of a way for Deion Sanders' coaching career to flame out. Go to Alabama. Go 6-6. Six and six, Make 10 mil and each year. Make 10 mil going 6-6 six and six every year. Incredible. And the hype train would keep on rolling somehow. Um, man, I do not want that. Let's... No, I think, I think of all the guys mentioned, I'd go DeBoer, Kalen DeBoer. I, I like Kalen DeBoer. I just don't know if I want to see him go through that. So I'm, I'm gonna stick with my Lane Kiffin, Dan Lanning, Mike Norvell trio. I already told you, Dan, Dan Lanning, you can rule him out, man. I'll, I'll believe it when it, I'll believe it when Alabama hires somebody. Well, Oregon just got a commitment from Evan Stewart former five-star receiver from A&M. So I think that's a, again, that's a pretty good signal that Oregon's just trying to build something and Dan Lanning's trying to build something. Anyways, Dan, they, you do not want him, Alabama. If you think you want Dan Lanning, you don't. He's the PJ Fleck of the West Coast. <laughs> that's, uh, that's who he is. He's the PJ Fleck of the West Coast. Row that boat. Yeah. Well, we'll a quick bell check here, talk about some NFL coaching jobs, and then get into playoffs. I know we're not really doing NBA this week, but quick side note. After uh, three quarters, the Thunder are basically doubling up the Trailblazers 118 to 56. So there's that. And uh, the Bucks are basically doing the same thing to the Celtics. Game time. The Celtics put out their third strong, uh, third string uh, team there for the second half. So, oh, January basketball. Not great. Not great for the NBA tonight. So, NBA or NBA, NFL coaching vacancies as it stands. Atlanta Falcons expected that. Panthers, not shocked. Raiders, Chargers, those were vacant during the season. Patriots and Seahawks, two pretty stunning ones. I did not see the Pete Carroll one coming at all. Titans one also a bit of a shock, which well, Patriots and Titans seem to know something. And then the Commanders. So that gives us one, two, three, four, five, six, eight NFL coaching vacancies right now that I suspect will be filled in pretty short order. I think so. And I think, you know, every team that needs a head coach, man, Mike Vrabel is a really good coach. I think he got a short, short straw there with maybe the roster that was built for him. They never really got him a, a true quarterback. I think he's a great coach. And if he gets a true quarterback, I think the team that should get Vrabel is Atlanta. Um, I think he can do what he did for Derrick Henry with Bijan Robinson. And he can, uh, you know, he'll at least use all the talent that they've drafted there in Atlanta. So I feel like Vrabel and Atlanta would be quite the match made in heaven. Um, For some of these other teams, I think you'll hear like Ben Johnson, the offensive coordinator as well for the, for the lions, Bobby Slowick, who I think is the offensive coordinator for the, for the Texans. And then you'll hear Belichick to the chargers, Harbaugh to the Raiders, those kinds of things. I think, there's going to be some of that movement as well. So should be interesting. 
I feel like Harbaugh may be the biggest domino here. For I maybe it's because he coached in San Diego at the college level, or I think I think Harbaugh wants to go into an established thing. I don't think he wants to build. I don't think he wants to take the Panthers from the ground ground up. To me, Belich or Harbaugh to the Chargers is what I see. He can walk right in, loaded roster. Justin Herbert, Keenan Allen can just turn it right around. I think he could jump in and turn the Chargers into a playoff team next year. I'm convinced the whole Vrabel thing happens so Vrabel can take over the Patriots. Belichick can have one of his own guys carry on a lot of that same mentality. I know Gerard Mayo is already there in-house. I just think Vrabel may be a little better option. The commander's one I'm really curious about because with the new ownership and no Dan Snyder, that feels like it could be a huge opportunity. I'm also convinced that the Bears are sticking with Justin Fields so the commanders can get Caleb Williams. So you can bring him in, uh, offensive head coach, that's maybe it's a so we have two Johnsons here, by the way. We have Ben Johnson and Brian Johnson. So Ben Johnson, the Lions OC, Brian Johnson, the Eagles OC. So that's going to get wonderfully confusing. So I could see that being a commander's, you know, new young coach, new quarterback. So Ben Johnson, maybe to the commanders or maybe he works better with the Seahawks. We're kind of ready built to go now. I really hope the Raiders stick with Antonio Pierce. I think he the guys kind of rallied around him. So that's, I mean, that's kind of half the jobs, but there's so many names out there. We hear Raheem Morris and Leslie Frazier being talked about. Aaron Glenn seems to be getting a lot of traction. It's, I guess if oh. I, if, I'm trying to think what job, I think Seattle would maybe be the job I would most want. Ownership is a little bit weird, but to me, that stands out as the best job right now. If I had my pick, I think Seattle is probably the best roster top to bottom and best organization. Mm, I like Seattle. I think I'd, I'd probably take Atlanta over Seattle, though. Because, and here's why. You're in a weaker division, and you're a quarterback away. You get a decent quarterback. You know, Ritter, Heineke, obviously not the answer at quarterback. You get a decent quarterback. You've already got a solid, a great offensive line. You've got a, a top-flight running back. You've got a, a talented tight end, a talented wide receiver. You can add to the wide receiver core, and you can find a quarterback in this year's draft with the team that you've got. And you'll instantly, you will be running that division because the Saints are kind of meh. The Bucks, the Panthers, Panthers obviously rebuilding, don't have a lot of assets to do it. I think they completely underachieved it's kind of like the chargers like you talked about with harbaugh where you get the right coach and you get the right quarterback they're going to instantly be a double digit winning team next year the falcons so i i think they're the best scenario and i do i do think arthur blank's a pretty solid owner based on what you hear about him and the falcons are kind of always middle of the pack but they're never really bad we don't talk about them like the Browns or occasionally the Texans or what the Panthers have become is just kind of chaos, kind of steady situation with the Falcons, which brings me is the, is the Panthers the worst job on here? Uh, For sure. Because you don't have a lot of talent on the current roster and there's not a lot of great ways to improve it because of that DJ Moore trade that they made. You're not going to instantly be able to, it's not like the bears where you have picks that you can, play around with and acquire you've got a lot of assets and a lot of cap space in order to 
you know, draft and or sign the right guys to kind of help turn your team in the more right direction. Panthers, you're looking at like whomever you you hire for that job, you're going to have to be a little bit more patient than one to two years with whomever that coach is that you hire. So, because it's going to be a four or five year rebuild the way it looks right now. And this may be counterintuitive to my own Harbaugh point, but there's two offensive coordinators we haven't discussed who I feel like are being groomed to be future head coaches. And that's Kellen Moore and Eric Bieniemy. Moore is with the Chargers, Eric Bieniemy with the Commanders. And I, I feel like both of those teams could take a chance on guys you already have in-house, guys that you know, promote them to the head coaches. We've been talking about Bieniemy for years. When's he going to get his shot? So those are the two that I'm curious to see if they finally get a look. And then another guy who's revitalized the Cowboys, and that's Dan Quinn, who I really, really like. And I think he's done great, but he may be one of those guys who's better as coordinator material than head coach material. Yes, he was the coach of the Falcons when they made their Super Bowl run. In hindsight, we all know that Mr. Kyle Shanahan may have had quite a bit to do with that, though. Yeah, and that's kind of the thing is, like, what's your philosophy in hiring a head coach? I would rather hire an offensive mind and a great play caller uh, rather than a defensive coach because so much of the game now, you win with the quarterback in your offense in the NFL now. You don't win with defense anymore. So this tough defensive-minded thing doesn't really work. Uh, you mentioned Aaron Glenn. Uh, good luck to you if you hire Aaron Glenn because the Lions D is atrocious and Aaron Glenn is a big part of the reason why. Good luck to you if you hire the Eagles offensive coordinator because I don't think he's been very good there. They'd be happy to be – both of those fan bases would be happy to be rid of those guys. Uh, I think the real prize of the offensive coordinator crop is Ben Johnson and then maybe followed by Bobby Slowick in uh, Houston. And those are the two offensive coordinator candidates that I'd look to if I'm hiring a new coach. Uh, I don't understand what the Bears are doing, keeping Eberflus, and I also don't understand keeping Fields because uh, you're going to have to get Fields onto that second contract and he's going to command a lot of money for not a lot of value. I think it'd be better to start over with both head coach and and quarterback at this point in time. I think Jim Harbaugh was right there for the Bears taking, and they kind of messed it up by sticking with Eberflus, but that's just me. There's nothing saying the Bears can't trade Fields for a top five pick, like trade him to the Commanders, get that number two pick, and then they have three of the first five. Caleb Williams, yeah, I, Harrison Jr., and an offensive tackle. Yeah, I I don't know. I don't know exactly <laughs> what you do if you're the Bears, but I'm I'm not for keeping Fields. We've we've kind of seen the best of Fields. He is what he is. He's not. He's a good, decent NFL quarterback, but he's not great, and you need great in order to win. So, I'd rather take my chances with Caleb Williams. All right, do we need to make any final coaching prognostications before we get to this week's playoffs? Let's go. It is wild card weekend because I refuse to acknowledge the absurdity of super wild card weekend. Sounds like something WWE comes up with. But we have wild card weekend here. 
And we'll just do this chronologically, going to be a little bit of jumping around. But we have Saturday afternoon to kick off the weekend, the number five Browns at the number four Texans. Browns, a two-point favorite here, despite being the lower seed, uh, over under 44 and a half. So I'll let you dip your toes in here first. Yeah, rookie quarterbacks don't typically do well in uh, their first start in the playoffs. I do think it's good for C.J. Stroud that he's at home. And obviously the Browns quarterback situation, I know Flacco has played well, but he's also a candidate to throw three or four interceptions in a game inexplicably, right? Um, So I think the Browns are favored by two and a half. Is that what it is? Uh, two on CBS, two. but who depends where you look. Two, two and a half. Um, man, I I'm gonna ride with the guy that I like, and I know that the Browns' defense has been this kind of juggernaut, but I I don't think they've traveled particularly well. Give me uh CJ Stroud pulling off the upset here. I like it. This is one of the toughest ones. For me to predict. So just got a couple fun facts on each team. This is the Texans' first playoff appearance since 2019. I believe that's the longest drought amongst AFC teams. There is one NFC team that has had a longer drought. The Texans, the fewest giveaways in the league, which surprised me when I looked it up, the fewest turnovers in the league this year was the Houston Texans. So that ball control we know in the postseason, that's always critical. Who controls the ball? Who controls the clock? Who doesn't make dumb mistakes? Compare that to the Browns, who have the most giveaways. So January, Joe Flacco is going to really need to right the ship there, see what Jerome Ford or Kareem Hunt or whoever the running back is doesn't give anything away. They're minus nine in the turnover differential. Those are two of the numbers I like as your scoring differential and your turnover numbers. The Browns being minus nine in turnovers with the most giveaways gives me a lot of concern. The secondary is also a little bit banged up. We've talked about how terrifying that defense has been this year. But with Grant Delpit out and a few other guys nursing injuries, what state is Amari Cooper in on the offensive side? I didn't think I was going to go into this picking the Texans, but they feel like they're kind of the hot team right now. The Browns, as impressive as this story has been, and the likable story of Joe Flacco coming back and one of the best comeback players of the year. The Browns did win in the first round last time they were in the postseason as a sixth seed in 2020. But I think I have to go with you. I have to stick with the Texans on this one as well to get the victory at home. Oh, man. Yeah, Um, it makes me nervous putting my faith in a rookie quarterback. I'll probably look dumb. Miles Garrett will probably make me look dumb with that pick, but that's okay. And coming up that night in the game that nobody will watch because it is on Peacock and we're not going to pay for Peacock just to watch one NFL game. Arguably the best game of the first round. Miami Dolphins going to the Kansas City Chiefs in what is reportedly one of the coldest projected games in NFL history and in playoff history especially. And everybody's really counting the Dolphins out. The One of the stats I've been seeing float around this week is that Tua has never won a game at a temperature below like 20 degrees or something. So you have the, the beach bum Miami Dolphins going to Arrowhead as if going to Arrowhead isn't bad enough. You have to do it in the cold. Got some other points here to get to, but short answer is give me the Chiefs. They're favored by four and a half, and I think they cover that. Yeah, 
you mentioned that this might be one of the best games of the, the weekend. I don't think so. I think all the best games are Sunday. Um, and it's, it's not really close. This is going to be uh, a tough game for Miami. I love Miami. I wish they would have pulled out that win against the Bills. It felt like once that kind of crumbled for them. I don't, I don't feel good about either of these teams. I've already mentioned how much I don't believe in the Chiefs. But like you said, that's sad about Tua and the cold. And just the Dolphins in general, they're a warm weather team. I want the Dolphins to win this game. I, I hope I'm wrong. Uh, but I'm just going to take the Chiefs to find a way to win this game. I don't think there's going to be a lot of points in this game. Yeah. I think this is going to be a tough defensive game. And, uh, yeah, the cold is going to be a massive factor. I thought it was going to be sloppy and have a lot of points. I think the I think the Chiefs will have a comfortable margin of victory, but for some reason, I thought it'd be a decent high scoring matchup. No, I don't. I don't really. I don't really feel that way. I feel the Chiefs' offense is all out of sorts, all out of whack. Can't wait for Kadarius Tony to do something to screw up this game for the Chiefs and uh, the Chiefs to quickly exit the playoffs. That would be the ideal scenario here. But watching the Dolphins move on, anyways. Don't watch this game. Watch Caitlin Clark play Indiana in primetime on Fox. So, and getting back to the Dolphins, just a quick, the defense, that, what concerns me is their defense is so decimated. Jalen Phillips out, Bradley Chubb out, Andrew Van Ginkle out, Jerome Baker out. They, the front seven for them has just been depleted. Jalen Ramsey runs so hot and cold. The Chiefs, you have a decimated Dolphins plus a Chiefs team that I can, I'm convinced can still flip that switch. Not as dangerous as the last couple of years, but if there's any team that can go from hot trash to red hot in a matter of seconds, to me it is the Chiefs. They do have plenty of issues. Uh, when you look at the 14 teams in the playoffs, the Chiefs are 12th in scoring right now, but they're second in scoring defense. We have this weird version of the Chiefs where they can hold teams down, but they can't put up points themselves. They are minus 11 in turnovers. They have the worst turnover differential among playoff teams. That could bite them later on. I think they're good enough to get past the Dolphins. Kansas City has made the playoffs in nine straight years, and they've won in the opening round five straight times. So I think that continues here. It's yeah, it may not be much worth watching, but it's at least going to be a Chiefs win to not worth watching. Yeah, barely, barely. I I think you're underestimating the Chiefs' struggles maybe a little bit. I'm not very high on them. Anyways, we can we can move on to Sunday. All right, where so- all the good stuff is. Start you off Sunday morning in Orchard Park, New York. The Buffalo Bills hosting the Pittsburgh Steelers, as Mike Tomlin does, somehow found a way to backdoor the Steelers into the playoffs. Thank you, Jacksonville Jaguars, for imploding at the end of the year. So you've got the Bills. Bills have won three straight years in the opening round as a two-seed in 2020, three-seed 2021, two-seed in 2022. Much like the Chiefs, they've won five straight opening round games and you have a Steelers team who is 28th in the league in scoring, lowest amongst all the playoff teams. They do have that typical stout Steelers defense, sixth in scoring. So the Steelers, they can create turnovers. They control the clock. They don't really commit a lot of turnovers. I just don't think they have the firepower to stick with Josh Allen. I said it on a couple of previous episodes. This Bills team scares me as much as anybody in the NFL right now. They're they're kind of the anti-Eagles. They started out so awful and have been amazing for the last two months. It 
it may be cold, it may get ugly, but I think the Bills are going to put a hurt on the Steelers. Yeah, I don't see this any other way. I think the Bills might be a case of the team of, of a team getting hot at the right time and making their way through the playoffs. So I'm gonna I'm gonna take the Bills pretty easily here, pretty comfortably as well. Yeah, we're. I, th- I feel like the Bills are getting right. They still have, if, you know, Matt Milano being out, Tredavious White, but it feels like a lot of their secondary's gotten better. So it feels like they're peaking at the right time and getting healthy, while a lot of other teams are kind of limping to the finish. Yep. All right, and then the game that Andrew's looking forward to, I assume, more than any game ever in the history of the NFL. Uh, After- maybe not in the history of the NFL, <laughs> After- but the history of this season. At the Sunday afternoon on Fox, the Packers at the Cowboys, the Mike McCarthy Bowl. I, I, I'm just gonna let you go first. Cowboys okay. by seven. Well, Jordan Jordan Love uh, is playing really, really well, and uh, the Packers have another franchise quarterback. Believe it or not, um, it's an interesting scenario because Mike McCarthy has a penchant for underachieving shall we say in the playoffs and this might be a unique scenario where if somehow Dallas blows this game Mike McCarthy is out looking for a new job and wouldn't it be poetic if the Packers were the ones to put Mike McCarthy out of a job twice in his career uh there's also just some magical thing that the Packers hold over the Cowboys. So I don't know if Green Bay is going to win this game, but it's kind of like if you're a Cowboys fan, you you can't feel completely confident like, oh yeah, I'm going to roll in this game. I think this is going to be the highest scoring game of the weekend for sure. Because both of these offenses can really hum and both, like the Packers defense specifically has a tendency to give up a lot of points. And I think Jordan Love is just so good that he can put up points on anybody. And yeah, I could I could see this being an absolute shootout down in Dallas. So I don't know if I'm going to pick a winner. I might actually abstain from picking a winner here and just say over, hit it, love it. It's going to it's gonna. There's gonna be points in Dallas on on Sunday. The over under is fifty and a half of what I'm seeing. And while I do think the Cowboys are gonna put a hurt on your Packers, a Cowboys by seven line does feel like it's begging for you to pour money in on Green Bay. Oh yeah, because I mean, okay, I said I was gonna abstain, but <laughs> fine, I'll, I'll say it. Packers are winning this game. There it is. Maybe, maybe cover. Is, I don't. I don't think is, I'll take them to win, but maybe a cover. This is happening. The Packers have the best quarterback in the NFC. Jeepers. Jordan Love is the best quarterback in the NFC right now. Are you guys secretly Wait. related? What? You like your long lost cousin? No, I, I, I'm. I'm being dead serious. I mean, he is. He's thrown 32 touchdowns and 11 interceptions in his first year as a starter playing with rookies and and sophomores. This is the youngest team in NFL history to make the playoffs. Dak, Hurts, Goff, 
Stafford. Jalen Hurts has not looked Brock Purdy. Jalen Hurts has not looked good. He he reportedly can't throw. He's had some struggles. Uh, I can give you Dak maybe, but we all know of of Dak's struggles. Um, I like Stafford, but Jordan Love has better stats than Stafford. Uh, Brock Purdy, product of the system. How dare you? Um, I'm sorry. I have to say it. I, you know it's true deep down. You know it's true. But uh, and that will will get exposed at some point in this playoffs. But yeah, I I'm fully convinced Jordan Love is the best quarterback in the NFC, and the team with the best quarterback wins. So give me uh, Jordan Love taking down the Packers and breaking their hearts. Packers continue to own the Cowboys in the playoffs. No, I'm. I'm so torn. I want to pick Dallas because they've looked so good, but it's also the Cowboys in the playoffs. And since Troy Aikman left, we know how that goes. Cowboys, just the playoff history here, lost as a three seed in 2020, won as a five seed in 2022. Green Bay has not had to play on wildcard weekend in a while. They were the one seed in 2020 and 2021 and then missed last year. The Cowboys... Uh, made it for the third straight year. They are number one in the league in scoring, fifth in scoring defense. They are sixth in turnover, so all these numbers are going their way. No Leighton Vanderesh, no Stefan Diggs. How does that impact them? It just, it's foolish. It's silly. It's the Cowboys, but I just, I have to go with Dallas here. I can't blame you. I can't blame you, but also we can't pick all favorites. And so far I've picked three favorites to win. And so we know with Wild Card Weekend, rarely if ever do all the favorites win. That's true. Got to take some upsets somewhere. Here's one of my upsets. Well, this that night is another one that's really giving me a lot of pause. Uh, that Sunday night game on NBC, the Rams at the Lions, the Matthew Stafford Jared Goff Bowl meeting after their trade a couple of years ago that, from what I can tell, seems to have worked pretty well for both franchises. You have Detroit snapping the longest playoff streak of any of the 14 teams in here. Their first time in the postseason since 2016. They are 0-8 in their last eight appearances. Their last playoff win was 1991. I have a feeling it's going to be like the Browns a couple of years ago where they snapped their playoff drought. The Lions are fifth in scoring right now, but 23rd in scoring defense. I feel like we think of Dan Campbell on this team as... Nose to the grindstone, blue-collar, old-school, punch you in the mouth. And they've really given up a lot of points, 23rd in the NFL. They are fourth in turnover, so they can can get the ball at crucial times. Compare that to the Rams. One is a sixth seed in 2020, lost as a four seed in 2021. They're a sixth seed again this year. They do have a negative turnover ratio, and they really don't create any turnovers. They have the fewest takeaways of anybody in the postseason. This one could be a toss-up for me. I really want it to end like 42-41 Lions. They are the three-point favorites. That's wishful thinking, but without really much rationale other than just a bleeding heart for the Lions, I'll take Detroit. Yeah. I mean, just whatever plans you had on Sunday that wasn't watch NFL, cancel. And just watch NFL football from 3.30 on because this game's going to be bonkers as well. Um I I really think that the winner of this game is going to represent the NFC in the Super Bowl. I I truly believe that. I think which the uh, Rams so bad the first two months. Right. Uh but like 
if you'll remember, Stafford was out of the lineup. Cup was out of the lineup for a little bit. Um, they really hadn't discovered and started utilizing Kyron Williams, who has suddenly emerged and has become one of the 10 best running backs in the league, at, at least one of the 10 best, maybe higher than that. Um, and they they can just throw the ball all over with Stafford, with Cup, Puka, and then they can hit you with the run. And then you've got a coach who's been there, done that before, and a quarterback, right? You've got a lot of guys who have been there, done that. And like you mentioned, there's two things going against the Lions here that it's hard for me to put faith in, and that's Jared Goff and Dan Campbell. Jared Goff has the tendency to turn the ball over. And Dan Campbell has the tendency to make silly decisions like going for two three times in a row from the seven-yard line against Dallas, right? And who do I trust more in this kind of a scenario? Well, that's Sean McVay and and Matt Stafford. So I'm going to take the Rams to upset the Lions here on the road. And the sixth seed is going to beat the three seed. Oof. We were we were in lockstep on the AFC and we've bifurcated on the NFC. Yeah, uh, there's going to be some upsets here in the NFC. So I think that does it for Sunday. That is, we have one Monday night game, and the NFL saved us the not best for last the 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 worst leftovers from Thanksgiving dinner. Yeah. Um. This should be Browns Texans instead of yeah Bucks Eagles. Bucks Eagles should be Saturday afternoon. Yeah, just bury this um, game where where nobody wants to see it. Philadelphia going to Tampa. Philadelphia the five seed is the three point favorite over the Buccaneers who get to host by virtue of winning their awful division. Yeah, and all the reports that Hurts can't throw, and just the way that they looked even in the last week where they kind of needed a win. Um, I mean, the Eagles really haven't looked good for like a month and there's their defense is getting run through and there's just, there's a lot of red flags with the Eagles, but I, I don't want to believe in Baker Mayfield in a playoff situation either. Right. So this might be, I'm going to take the Buccaneers just simply because it's at home. I think somehow, some way Baker's just going to have a good game. And maybe Rashad White is the factor in this game because the Eagles can be run on. And I think the Buccaneers might just do that. They might just say, we're just going to run the ball a lot. And Rashad White's going to have a big game. And that's going to be the end of the Eagles. I don't I don't know what else to say, but I, it wouldn't surprise me if the Eagles come out and look great, but I think the Buccaneers are going to win this game. I, I'm trying to remember last year's Philly team that it took me so long to get on the bandwagon for, and I finally, finally caught on to them in the Eagles this year, and I was convinced, yeah, they're the real deal. I like Jalen Hurts. The offensive line is good. There's a lot of talent on that defense. They're they're getting torched in the secondary, but they're playing the Buccaneers. So it's it's yes, Mike Evans is there to deal with, 
but it's Baker, a depleted offensive line. I think Philly is good enough up front to make life a nightmare for Baker Mayfield. The Philly secondary is getting torched, but I don't think Baker is going to have a chance to get the ball downfield to them and make the plays that they want to make. I was trying to look at the history here, trying to find some trends for either of these teams, and nothing really stood out. Somehow the Bucks have made the playoffs four years in a row. I know they had Brady, but that still seems weird to me that the Bucks have been weirdly consistent making the postseason. And the Eagle, Eagles are making their third straight appearance. The Eagles are going to give up points. The Eagles are going to turn the ball over, and they're going to give up points. So I think this is going to be a shootout in an ugly way, not really due to good scoring, but like muffed punts and turnovers and bad sacks and penalties. I think it's going to be sloppy, ugly, with a decent amount of points, and Philly's going to sneak it out just to go get served up on a platter to the 49ers next week. Um, yeah, well, I mean, with what I've got picked, I've got Packers 49ers next week, um, and then Rams versus the winner of this game, and Rams got to feel really good if they pull off that game against Detroit and the Packers win uh, playing whichever of these teams. <laughs> this is a complete stay away if you're if you're if you like to make financial wagers like I do, um, I'm not putting anything down either way on this one because I'm not betting on Baker Mayfield and I'm definitely not betting on Jalen Hurts and his current injured state at all. I, I want no part of that now, Philly, game whatsoever. They just look broken. I don't know what it is if they're not buying into the coaches. I've I've wondered all year without Shane Steichen and or, or yeah, without Shane Steichen and or Jonathan Gannon, did this team lose something from last year that they haven't been able to rekindle? Are they injured? Is it AJ Brown being upset? Are they just old? They have a lot of veterans on this team who have been around for quite a while. It's just something is broken Philadelphia and I can't pinpoint what it is. It's Matt Patricia as their defensive coordinator. He's absolutely cooked. <laughs> and Brian Johnson is not Shane Steichen. You see you see what Shane Steichen did with Indy. I mean, he had what I thought was a pretty bad Colts team uh, one game away from making a, a playoff appearance. They just needed to beat the Texans to make the playoffs, and he – Probably would have done it if Anthony Richardson had stayed healthy for the whole season and he didn't have to play Gardner Minshew. I think the Colts make the playoffs easy. I think Shane Steichen is the real genius behind, kind of like uh, the Falcons with Quinn, right? Uh, where we found out that Kyle Shanahan was the real genius behind that team. Shane Steichen, I think, is the exact same way. And now that he's gone, and also you don't have Jim Schwartz, anymore you're running it with matt patricia jim schwartz is running the browns defense and making them look phenomenal big surprise there because he's a great defensive coordinator that matters people don't think about that but offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator definitely matters and uh you can see it with the way the eagles are this season it's the it's the next todd licklider and brad stevens Oh, boy. You had to say that just to get one on me. <laughs> hey, it's payback for Brock Purdy. Hey, listen, you don't really believe in Brock Purdy. You've said it before. I will celebrate his run for as long as it lasts. That's fair. That's so, fair. But so, uh, go ahead. I was just going to give a recap here. So if I am correct, we were 
in lockstep on the AFC Bills over the Steelers, Texans over the Browns, and Chiefs over the Dolphins. Yeah. And then, so we split on the NFC, if I am remembering correctly. I'm going Cowboys. You're taking your Packers. Yep. I'm going Packers, Rams, Bucks. And I'm going... All, all upsets. And I'm I'm going chalk. I'm going Cowboys, Lions. Oh, I guess Eagles technically are the lower seed. So, yeah, I'm going... We're all the same on the AFC and all different on the NFC. Which means... Uh, but you're picking, you're picking all, the, all the betting favorites, which... Well, one of these teams has to screw the public because I think the public is going to be all over uh, the Cowboys. I feel like the public's going to be all over the Cowboys. They're giving them seven, at least on CBS. That's right. But I think like, you know, 70% of the public money is going to be on the Cowboys or something crazy like that. Right. They're not going to give the Packers a chance. And Vegas is going to get people while the Packers winning outright. So that's that's part of my philosophy here in picking some of these upsets is like Vegas isn't going to just allow all the favorites to win. It's just not going to happen that way. Well, betting, all the betting favorites. Betting fans, some that's why I looked back. I like to find these fun facts and see if there's any patterns or historical trends. So since we went to the 14-team playoff, it just started in 2020. The two seeds are undefeated in the first round, twos over sevens. A seven has never defeated a two since we went to the 14-team. Four versus five seed in the opening round is 50-50. That's a toss-up. You just have to figure out which one's going to win, which one's going to lose it. And then the weird thing that I don't really love because it favors both the Dolphins over the Chiefs and your pick of the Rams over the Lions the sixes have beat the threes four to two. So we've only had six games sample size, but the six has defeated the three four out of six times in the previous playoffs. Got it. Got it. So well, not, not good for my wrong. Lions, but hopefully we can break I, that cycle. Not good for my Packers, but I believe in uh, love. Nope. Nobody can, I believe in- nobody can ruin a trend like the Cowboys. That that is also true. I think it's more just I don't know if it's so much my faith in the Packers as much as my distrust of everything Dallas in the playoffs. Yeah, you're just Mike McCarthy is going to be the difference maker. Yeah, and not in a good way. And playoff Dak, right? I mean, we just we've seen it too many times for me to feel good picking the Cowboys. Why? I love it. So, anyways, I'm looking forward to this weekend for the most part, specifically those two games on Sunday. Packers, Cowboys, and Rams, Lions back-to-back is just phenomenal stuff. Much of the country sounds like it will be mired in cold or snow or both. Perfect reason to sit inside on your couch all day Saturday and Sunday and watch the snow fall and stay warm and watch football. If you're so inclined, Monday night, if you haven't had enough, there's still the Bucks eagles yeah, um, I'll be tuning in to college basketball or something on Monday <laughs> night. All right, anything else we need to get to this week before we check out? Uh, no, I mean, it's it's a beautiful sports weekend. Oh, I did briefly mention it, but man, if you want to tune out of Peacock and not buy Peacock, watch, watch, watch Fox, obviously, 
Caitlin Clark is taking on uh, number 14, Indiana, who's a pretty darn good team. And it's a Saturday night primetime. I think we talked about this last season. Why weren't there more games Saturday night primetime for women's hoops? And we've got one now. So Gus Johnson calling the game. And so it's uh, it's going to be good. 7 o'clock night game on Saturday night. I was just checking the UFC card. There's one coming up on the 20th. It's, it's Sean Stricken and Drickus DePlessy on the title, but not a huge card beyond that. Maybe we can do a Strickland betting pick next week. Nothing we need to get to for this week. So UFC 297, Absolutely. January 20th. Keep that in the back of your minds. Well, we thank you all for joining us. We will see you next time on the Sports Gospel, and we'll find out how our wildcard picks did and prepare for the next round of postseason. Maybe we have some coaching hires by then and continue to sprinkle in some basketball throughout here in the winter months. Be safe. Have a good weekend. Thank you all for joining us. We will see you next time. Keep your stick on the ice. 